I'm with Ken. I went back and listened to the, it's the first one I've listened to podcast from last week. I don't like to hear myself, so usually I don't listen to it because I just sit there and pick it apart. Like, oh, God, that was horrible. Oh, that was terrible. Oh, wow, listen to how I sound there. Wow, why did I go off on that trail then? So I usually don't even bother with it. Um, But I did go back last week and listen to the podcast because there were several things that were said during the podcast that I didn't didn't even know I was going to say. And when I said it, you know, one of you guys asked me to repeat. I couldn't repeat it. And that's what happens when you, when you really are um, just allowing Holy Spirit to just speak through you. He puts you on and wears you like a cloak. That's what, how he did Gideon. The actual description of Gideon is that Holy Spirit put Gideon on. In other words, he picked Gideon up and he put him on and he wore him as a Gideon suit. And uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome to think that you can get that close to the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes when you're doing that in ministry, he just says what he wants to say. And so you may have to go back even if you're the one doing the ministry and get the notes or get the podcast so that you can understand what was said. And there's a lot of revelation in that last week. There's several times where you can just stop and meditate and study. And I encourage you, you know, to... Uh, I don't know how we haven't made this connection yet as a whole. I'm, I'm not talking about you specifically because I don't know you like that. But I don't know... what why there's a disconnect between the importance of reading the Word of God, spending time with the Lord alone, uh, and developing a history and a relationship with the Lord. That, that is vital. If you're not going to do that, anything I say up here is not going to help you. I mean, you can get all the cool little nuggets, you can get all the cool bumper stickers, you can get all the the cool little things that we do as believers to tell everybody we're believers, you can put fish all over your car or whatever you want to do. Whatever cool little t-shirts you want to buy, you can do all of that. But if you're not developing a relationship with the Lord, if you're not reading your word on a daily basis, if you're not consuming his presence in praise and worship by yourself, not where other people are motivating you because that's how you learn to not live by your emotions in those times when you're by yourself. You know, if, if the only worship I do is in here with you guys, then I'll be motivated by how you respond and how your emotions are and that'll affect my worship and then I'll only be able to worship in the company of other people because I'll feel so weird and awkward by myself. I won't know how to respond and then I associate the presence of the Lord to other people's reaction when that has absolutely nothing to do with So I encourage you, one of the ways that we renew our mind, Romans 12, one of the ways you do that is by the Word. And there's a certain level of renewal that will only come from reading the Word that you will not get any other way. I mean, Jesus culture music's great. All of that stuff is great. And it brings a renewal to you, but there is a certain renewal of the mind that you will not get apart from the Word of God. So if you don't consume the word, the things that I share with you like last week and this week, these things will be, they'll only be more frustration for you because you won't have the understanding to know how to apply them to your life because you have no basis from the word to apply them. And this is why people get misled by prophecy. The prophetic word is great, but the prophetic word should always fall in line with what's going on in your personal life with the Lord and what the word of God says. 
But you can't have any standard to measure it to if you don't know what the Word of God says. Well, I don't know how to study. You don't, I'm not talking just about studying. Find the topic that is relative to your life at the moment. Just type it in Google and study the scripture it gives you. It'll give you more than you could possibly study on the topic. Read commentaries. Actually study what's going on in your life. And then in times of trial and tribulation or hard times in life, you'll have a history. You won't just be trying to, to um, and, and it's a strong word, but you won't really be trying to prostitute the presence of the Lord just simply to get you out of a jam. And we do that a lot of times. We have no history with the Lord. So when we, we're up against it, we have nothing to draw from because we've made no deposit. And then we want God to come in and we devote ourselves to Him and we pour out to Him. And then once we're through that rough spot, then we go right back to the same behavior. Not reading our word, not spending time with Him because we don't, quote, need Him to get us out of that jam. And so when we're talking about personal dysfunctions and things that we have the responsibility to handle on our own, like humility, God says humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. You have to take that on yourself. You know, and everything in life, he said, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. Choose. You choose life. You have to choose it you have to appropriate the correct responsibility and action toward that life. You have to make choices that breathe life and not destruction. And when you do that, there's promises that go with that choice. You had to choose to be saved. The Bible says you could not have been saved unless you believed, first of all, that there is a God. And that there is a God who is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You had to believe and make a choice to accept Jesus and that He was the Lord and that He is the Savior. And you had to choose to accept that in your heart. So salvation itself was a choice. And living in our dysfunctional areas of our life, and, and I want to ask you this, what, what are some of the areas that exist in a person's life or could exist in a person's life that are not as obvious as others. In other words, if I have an addiction to something, that's an obvious dysfunction, right? Everybody in this room is going to know that I have that dysfunction. It's going to manifest in behavior. But there are other things that I'm really talking about more so than those. When I talked last Sunday and this Sunday, when I talk about these dysfunctions that we hide, what could be some of those? Motives. Motives. Attitudes, huh? Envy, motives, motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's what's the what is the the I guess the driving force behind what I'm what I'm doing? Do I do do, do I engage this certain person because I truly love them or want to help them, or or am I trying to get even even the things that we think we're doing for God? Am I trying to really connect with my community because I love them or I just want people in the community to think I'm awesome? Or do I want people in my community to talk about my church? So I want to get involved. I want to go to the Piggly Wiggly and cook hamburgers and hot dogs and have 
all these things and, and give to people so that people read my t-shirt and then next, uh, you know, in the next few minutes put on Facebook how awesome I am and got, they have my picture with it. And we do laugh about that, but guys, I think that we can get caught up in that and not even be willing to acknowledge that that's why we do it. I'm not saying that that's why we did that at the pig. I'm just saying that even I, I can be deceived. You can be deceived. We can all be deceived if we're not pure in our heart with the things of God. And the only purity that you can have with God is that continuing developing relationship. Otherwise, I've told you this a hundred times, outside of presence, anything can be perverted. Your motives will be perverted outside of the presence of the Lord. Why do I do what I do? Because people think I'm awesome. You know, in praise and worship, we could get involved in praise and worship and we could really think the presence of the Lord is on a song simply because it has an emotional response from the crowd connected with it. When the Lord ain't saying anything that has anything to do with that song that morning. Therefore, our motives are impure because we are looking for that response to gratify our insecurities. We preach messages. We preach messages that maybe aren't the messages for the hour, but we preach them because we want to appease people. We want people to come back next Sunday, we, and, and we all do. And, and so therefore, you know, even my relationship with the Lord, if I don't connect with him other than when I'm in a hard spot, what is my motive? It's like, why do I study Lee? Why does Lee study the word? Do I study it? just to get a cool-sounding message for Sunday? If I do, then I'm, I have impure motives. You know, it's like God said, would you study your word like you study if you weren't the pastor? And if the answer is no, then I have impure motives because the only reason that I get in His presence and study is to get a cool-sounding word. Or if the only reason I read my devotion in the, in the morning is so I have a scripture to put on Facebook. What's my motive? And so these are the things that hide inside of us. Envy. You know, am I envious of another person? You know, when me and Angela were, were finally gaining some momentum in our finances, if we would, if we would buy uh, not a new car but a new-to-us car, like that Sunday, there have been times I'm like, let's don't drive that this Sunday. You know, let's just don't, don't even tell anybody we got anything new or anything different. You know, because if you told somebody that, it was like immediately you got this, this envious response from people in the church. And it was jealousy, envy. They couldn't celebrate truly with you. And so that's a shame, isn't it? And these are the things that hide in our life. You know, you can ask yourself, how are you in that area by asking yourself if the person that you really don't like in the church, and there's possibly some people that you may not like because that just personalities don't always click, but let's take it outside the house and say there's a person that I really don't like at work, but let's just say they were blessed and got to buy a new Mercedes. How would you feel about that? 
Or how would you feel if, if the person that you really didn't like got a new house? Or you know what I'm saying? You can do self-checks by seeing if there would be anything that would rise up within you to see somebody else being blessed, even if it's your enemy. Because the Bible says you're supposed to pray blessings on your enemies. The Bible says pray for those who spitefully persecute you. I have prayed for some of those, but it wasn't a blessing prayer. You know, that's hard to do. It's hard to have that kind of love and be motivated out of pure love for somebody else. A lot of times we pray for our enemies because the Bible says we have to, but while we're praying, we have no desire to see them blessed. (laughs) So we're praying out of the wrong motive. And in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 9, the Word of God talks to us about interacting with the Lord from a place of relationship versus rules and dependency on, on Him to get us out of a jam or to do all, anything like that that we may need. Let's look at that for a minute. Matthew chapter 15, if you have a Bible. And if I could learn to type, we could go there. Let's just look at verse 2, start there. Why did the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? This is the, the... religious leaders of the day they've come to Jesus and they have this awful dilemma they want to present to the Lord and this is their dilemma why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they wash not their hands when they eat bread Jesus how could you have such a corrupt people following you that they break all of the what are they breaking here the traditions of the elders. You understand that when God gave the law, Larry may know this, I don't know the exact amount, but there were something like 239 or something original laws in the law. And by the time man got through with it, there were 613 laws. So man saw it appropriate to add two, roughly 380 to 400 additional laws on top of the law that God gave. We love rules, man. We love to make them. We love to try to abide by them. We, you know, because rules give us this sense that we can be doing okay outside of the time necessary and involved in a relationship. You can abide by rules and there'll be no relationship at all. But they answered and said unto him, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? This is Jesus throwing it right back on them. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die to death. This is Jesus said, Okay, you asked me a question, let me ask you a question. You say that you ought to honor your father and mother, and that if you don't honor your father and mother, you should be stoned to death. That was the law. What if we still operated under that today? Probably would have got a beating with some rocks a long time ago. Whosoever shall say to his father and his mother, 
it's a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor is not his father and mother. In other words, the Bible says that you honor your father and mother, and one of the understandings was that when your father and mother got older and they didn't have the finances to support themselves, you supported them. And what they would do, though, is they would say, we can't support you, mother and father, because all of the finances that it would take to support you were given unto the Lord's work. So you're on your own. And this is how they would get by the the hypocrisy in their life is that they would earmark it for the Lord even though they didn't give it to the Lord. But they would say that in public so that who could accuse them of saying, oh, you know, you've given it to the Lord, but you should have given it to your father and mother. So they would get around the law. And Jesus called them on it. And he said, hey, you should probably be stoned to death by this law that you're bringing to me. And then he calls them hypocrites. And then he said, Isaiah prophesied about you, saying that this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. They teach doctrines and commandments of men. This is how I always say that even the words of the Lord can be distorted outside of presence. They receive the law outside of presence. They receive the list of rules outside of the presence of the Lord. And they perverted those rules into regulations to try to force people in subjection to God. And they didn't have a relationship. And God said, you honor me with your mouth, you worship me with your lips, but I've never once had your heart. And I'm telling you, you can, you, can, you can be around people for not very long and tell if God has their heart. You can listen to what they say. You can watch their actions. You can, you can watch the motives. You know, you say a lot about your motives by your actions. Your actions speak louder than words. That's true. People can observe you and observe your actions and know what you're thinking because all of your actions start as thoughts. And God's calling them out as hypocrites because he says, look, you're saying all the right religious things. You're you're in church every Sunday. You know, you come occasionally on Wednesday night, but every day you don't commune with me. Every day you don't talk to me. You don't read your word. You don't spend time with me in private. Just me and you. You honor me in all the right ways to make people around you think that you are this person who is in a relationship with me, but I've never once had your heart. And I don't understand if we understand how revolutionary David was and how unbelievable the things that David would say in his time. Like, you don't... Take joy in sacrifice. You take joy in obedience. That went against every single thing that God himself had spoken in the law. And David had this understanding because he developed a relationship with God. When he was out tending sheep with nobody knowing who he was or caring who he was, had a father that didn't even think he was significant enough to bring before Samuel, didn't even mention his name until Samuel forced him by saying, don't you have another son? 
You've got to have another son because none of these guys are it. And God said he was your son. And then David's dad said, well, I got some little kid out here, ruddy kid out here tending my sheep. I mean, he's a boy. He's a son of mine, but he's insignificant. He can't possibly be one of the ones that you're thinking about. And David developed that relationship out apart from everybody when he wasn't a rabbi or a priest or getting any significant recognition for anything that he was doing. He was out by himself tending sheep. A nobody. And David learned something about the Lord that wasn't taught in the law. He learned that he could go straight to the Father. Do you understand that even in that day, there was no right for you to approach God? You didn't have the right to do that. You had to approach God through the priest. And the priest would approach God on your behalf. So just this concept that David would sing unto the Lord, that David had the audacity to go before God... David developed something that became a reality in his life despite what everything else said or what everybody else thought. He developed a closeness. And in that closeness, it so moved God that God himself would speak about his son, the Messiah, reigning on the throne of David forever. Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah chapter 9. There was something about David, there was some, something about David that was so significant that God said, my lineage will come through him and my son, the Messiah, will rule as he rules. In Acts 13, 22, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. That's what marked David. What does it mean to be after somebody's heart? If you're, if you're after somebody's heart, how, how does that, what does that look like? You're sold out. You're pursuing. Let's, let's look at boy-girl relationship for a minute. Let's, let's, get, let's get the religious stuff out of it. And let's just say you, there's got, we know this guy, and he's head over heels for this girl, and he's trying to win her heart. Huh? Pursue? Don't get complacent. You better not get complacent because somebody else is after a heart too. You learn everything about her. How many of you went to the old uh, girlfriend, went around the girl to the girlfriend to find out what the girl liked so that you could get in? Yeah. Persuasion. <laughs> I don't know if that speaks highly of <laughs> In other words, if you were trying to win somebody's heart, you had to come with a different game. I mean, we're all, we're all adults. If you're out on a Friday night and you just happen to be at some, the same house or something as somebody else, and you see this person and you're like, yeah, you know, they're attractive or whatnot, and blah, that's a different situation. 
But once you connect on a level to where you want to be in a relationship with that person, you want to win their heart, and you're not just looking for a good time, which that's what we do with the Lord. We look to the Lord to satisfy an immediate need. We want to just party with Him for a little while. But then we never call Him back. We want to just hook up with Him for a little while, but we're really not looking for that relationship. Because once we, you know, start calling on the phone, you're talking at 2 o'clock, you're sleeping. Hey, baby, I love you too, baby. And, you know, look, don't, no, I ain't hanging up, you hang up. I'm not hanging up, you hang up. You know, I know y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But that's an all-out pursuit. That's somebody who don't care how stupid they look to their buddies. That's somebody who don't care how foolish they look to the world. They are trying to win a heart. And you understand on a human level, it takes another level of devotion to win a heart. Well, actually, I don't know how it was for y'all, but my desire became her. I had no other desire than her. You know, you went to work, you couldn't wait to get off work because then you got to see them. You didn't go home, you went to their house. If you went home, it's to grab a quick shower and go to her house. On the weekends, where were you? Her house. Why? Because you, you were connected in a relationship. And it's the same way with the Lord. David pursued God. Think about that. We, we always love the comfort of knowing that God's pursuing us. Right? I, I take comfort in that. I'll be the first one to admit it. Yeah. But how about us pursuing him? And God said, I have found a man and I will exalt him as king who his daddy didn't even think he was significant. And I'll put him as king. And not only will I put him as king, what marks him different than any man on the planet at that time was that he's after my heart. He's not after my power. He's not after my resources. He's not after my my provision. He's not after any of that. He's after my heart. Now, once he gets my heart, he gets all that. If you ladies took an attraction to a dude that was filthy rich, I mean, he's a billionaire. I'm talking about rich. I ain't talking about pays his bills and buys a new thing every now and then. I'm talking about this dude is rich. And you were attracted to him, but you really weren't attracted to his money. You really did like who he was. And so now you're trying to win his heart. If you can win his heart, then all of the other things are just bonuses. I mean, it just it's awesome. But without the heart of that guy, you're in a temporary relationship. And eventually, his attraction may turn to somebody else. So you lose all that provision. At least you got to get a lawyer. But with God, when, once you capture his heart and he captures your heart, you don't have to worry about power. You don't have to worry about provision. You don't, you don't have to even concern yourself with all these things. He even put it in his word. Like, why do you even worry about what you wear and what you're going to eat? Because I take care of what you consider insignificant birds and flowers. I'm definitely going to take care of somebody who has my heart. So why are you concerned with all these things if all you want 
Take that same guy and he starts to sense that the female that's after him only wants his money. How, how does he feel about that? He's repelled by that. You. If, I mean, put it on you. It's the same thing. God wants you after his heart. After him because of who he is and because of what he's like and because of his, his nature. And God found that in David and it was so significant to God that he even mentions David's throne and the way David operated in government in Isaiah 9 as being significant in the life of our Messiah. And then, so what's relative between David and, and Jesus? What did Jesus constantly say? He constantly talked about the will of the Father. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, Father, it's not your will, it's not... If it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Mark 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ understood he had the heart of the Father. That's why those two are identified together. There's some common characteristic between David and Christ and that they both had the heart of God. And in Matthew chapter 15, it says that he will do my will. Whatever my heart is to do in Kimberly, whatever my heart is to do, you can call it will, you can call it work, you can call it service. It's simply the heart of God for this region. He will do my will. Whatever that will is, he'll do it. And he'll do it to the fullest. And then Jesus sums it all up between rules and relationship. And Jesus says, look, you're talking about law. You're talking about people who are following rules and not following rules. There's 613 rules in the law. And if you want to live under the law, you can do that. But Jesus says, I can sum all of this law up in two principles, two core values in the kingdom. What are those two? You love God with everything that you are. Everything that you are. Your mind, your strength, your soul, your strength. Ken talked about finances. You're a giver because God's a giver. If you give strictly because it's tithe time and you want people to see you put it in the, in the basket, then that's the wrong motive. I give because I'm compelled to give because I'm like my father, same as you. You see people who are hurting, people who need financial resources, you have those financial resources, you have to give. You don't have a choice to give. You're compelled by God to do it because you're like him. And if all we do is, is hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard our resources, then one day we're going to have to give an account for that. But Jesus said you love God with everything that you are and you love other people in the same manner that you love yourself. You love your neighbors yourself. He said everything else hangs on these two principles, these two core values of the kingdom. And so it's not just about how we can consume our life with the things that we want to do, things that appease us, things that make us feel good, things that bring us happiness and joy in the earth. It's about how are we integrating that with other people around us in that relationship. Jesus brought it from the rules into relationship. And if you just want to take the book of Romans, I'm not going to go over all these scriptures because it's already 10 after 12. But if you take the book of Romans, Paul, the entire letter, or at least the meat, the heart of the information in this letter is a comparison between living in relationship with God and living in a set of rules. Why does that matter to any of us in here? Why does it matter? Because only 
in relationship will you learn how to deal with your dysfunction. We all have them. I mean, it doesn't matter who we are. We have some level of dysfunction in our life. And only in the context of a relationship with the Lord will you learn to deal with that. If you are a rules-oriented person, you're going to set for yourself a set of rules to live by. And, of course, you're going to be real easy on yourself because you're not going to judge yourself by the same set of rules you judge everybody else. This is a problem with rules. You're going to pick out some rules that you can live by, and you're going to say, this is my set of rules, and as long as I live by this set of rules, I'm good. But since there's no relationship, God can't truly speak to you. And so you're going to go down your checklist, checking off all these rules that you think that you're okay with. I come to church on Sunday. I come to church on Wednesday night. Which, When you're in a relationship, you're going to come to church on Sunday and whenever you can. Because why? Because God's there and you want, to, you want to be with him and you want to be with the family. Just like... And you're going to say, I gave some in the offering. You know, I may do this occasionally on the side or do that occasionally on the side, but I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as this person. When you get a phone call that disrupts your evening, you're not going to want to respond to it. But in relationship, then you and God start to share the same heart. It, it, it makes you nuts if you're not engaged with other people because God is, is a people God it makes you nuts if you're not engaged in helping other people it makes you nuts if you're not creating breakthrough for other people it makes you nuts and uncomfortable and frustrated if you're not if you withdraw yourself from the society just to live in your own little bubble because God's heart's crying out of you. Engage, engage. Become active. And then the more things that you find out in the community, the more responsibility you have. And let me tell you, when, when you become a relational person, God will allow you to come in contact with information God will allow you to come in contact with people so that you can literally change your community. That's the truth, man. That's the truth. I mean, there are things that are coming to light in this community right now behind the scenes that will come out in the next couple of weeks to months that God has, has shed light on and, I mean, it could be an international news story. And why is all this happening? Because God is saying, when you engage in a community, I will show you things and show you how to change that community. Because that's my heart. And things that have been hidden in darkness will be brought into the light. Things that have been done in darkness will be brought to the light. And that's another reason we got to live our life so that when examinations start happening, we don't have those skeletons in our closet that fall out. 
So this morning, I just want to encourage you. You know, think about, you say, well, uh, Pastor, you're talking about reading the Word on a daily basis. That sounds like a rule. I'm talking about having information that helps you renew your mind. That's how you're transformed, Romans 12, 2. And you can pray, and God will give you information. And you can read the Word, and God will give you information to help you renew your mind. And all these things work together to put you in a place and make you the person that God created you to be. But without, I mean, if you're reading your Bible simply because you believe you got to spend 10 minutes a day reading your Bible, I guess that's better than nothing, but there again, that's a rule. I don't never go into my study time with any length of time on my mind. I just go and, and do whatever Holy Spirit speaks to me to do. If I feel like I'm reading the Bible and God says, shut the Bible and just talk to me for a minute, that's what I do. I tell the story that one time God said, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, get a cup of coffee and sit down at the kitchen table and just be quiet. So that's what I did for a season. Because God, as a father, will bring you to the kitchen table over a cup of coffee to discuss with you some things that need to change in your life or some things that he knows are going on that you don't want to talk about, just like you would your child. So it's about relationship, not a, a list of rules that help us govern and hide who we truly are. But that's the problem with relationship is when you, when you pursue that, these dysfunctions are going to have to be dealt with. And, and guys, in all honesty, I mean, if we don't deal with these little things, these sins, the Bible says, that so easily beset us, the Bible tells us to lay them aside. You lay aside every sin that so easily besets you. You do it. So we got, we got to quit begging God to take things from us, and we got to quit rebuking devils and we got to deal with us and we got to make the choices now once we make the choice to do right and once we say I'm going to choose life then we can go to God and say God I can't do this on my own I don't even know how to address this give me wisdom and give me strength by your Holy Spirit to do this and he'll always stop you before it happens he'll always come to you and say hold on here it comes here it comes warning 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 and you have to bust through those warning signs to go on and operate in it. So let's just close out in prayer.